last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome in to the Mass and All Access podcast series recaps, everybody. Your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco here. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are back at it after skipping over this past weekend's Brewer series in which the Nationals were swept in. I swear it's not on purpose that the only series that I've missed so far this season have been ones in which the Nationals were swept, but maybe if they keep getting swept in those, we'll continue to gloss over those if that works out for everybody else, um, and we can just ignore those series. Hopefully that doesn't happen too often, however. The Nats hit the road for a nine-game road trip starting on Memorial Day with a four-game series against the Braves in Atlanta. Entering the series, the Nats were 21-28 and in last place in the National League East, six games behind the Mets, but only two and a half behind the Braves for second place. Let's break it down. This was already the third meeting between these two teams this season, but just the first down in Atlanta, with the Braves collectively winning five of six games at Nationals Park so far. And this series got off to a similar start, with the Braves winning a late afternoon game on Memorial Day, 5-3. to three. They were able to jump on starter Joe Ross for an early 4-0 lead after two innings. They batted Ross around a bit in the first for three runs, making him throw 32 pitches and issuing three walks. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. hit his 16th homer of the season in the second inning, but Ross would eventually settle in and give the Nats a chance to mount a comeback as he retired 11 batters in a row, six via strikeouts, inducing 22 swings and misses. Then the offense finally chimed in after failing to capitalize on some early chances to score runs. In the top of the fourth, Juan Soto drew a leadoff walk to set up Josh Bell's two-run homer to get the Nats on the board. Fastball, Josh Bell, high in the air, deep left center. You later. There's that short wall coming into play out there. Seems like Josh Bell is finally starting to turn his season around as he's been scoring up fastballs with better timing at the plate, something that he was missing after starting the season on the COVID injured list. Joe Ross would help his own calls with an RBI single up the middle later in the inning, but that threat would end when Trey Turner struck out in the next at-bat, one of his four strikeouts in this game. Turner had another chance to deliver the tying run in the sixth, but swung badly at a slider, another breaking ball that he couldn't touch on Monday and has struggled to hit all year. The Braves would add another run in the bottom of that frame and route to the 5-3 final. Charlie Morton took the win. Joe Ross the loss. He's now 2-5 and five, and Will Smith earned the save. Three runs, seven hits, zero errors for the Nats. Five runs, six hits, two errors for the Braves. Jan Gomes had a multi-hit day. Soto drew two walks with a hit. Josh Bell delivered the big blast and Josh Harrison, Kyle Schwarber, and Joe Ross all connected for hits while Sam Clay and Tanner Rainey delivered scoreless innings each out of the bullpen. After this one, the Nats had dropped five in a row and fallen eight games under the 500 mark for the first time this season. Tuesday night's game did not get off to any better of a start despite the Nationals actually scoring in the first as Steven Strasburg was pulled after just one and a third innings with the game tied at one to one in the second inning with a tight trap muscle in his upper right back that would eventually require an MRI. 
Strasburg did not look right from the start in this one. He issued a leadoff walk to Ronald Acuna Jr. on four pitches. His fastball was sitting 89, 90 miles per hour and was actually registering as changeups, but they were in fact fastballs. And he was shaking his neck and shoulder area again, something that we saw him do in St. Louis with that weird camera angle down the tunnel behind the dugout. And he only took one swing at the plate before bunting, which Davey Martinez took as another sign before they finally decided to pull him. While riding a five-game losing streak, you would have thought that this was the worst-case scenario, and the Nats were on their way to their sixth straight loss. But lo and behold, the offense came to life for one of their rare eruptions to carry the team to an 11-6 win in an almost four-hour affair. This was the Nats' best offensive showing in nearly two weeks. They produced sustained offense throughout the game, and they got contributions from nearly everyone. Ryan Zimmerman delivered a two-run homer to continue his strong season off lefties. Uh, Kyle Schwarber delivered a pair of RBI singles off a couple of southpaws. Jan Gomes tacked on some key insurance runs late with a two-run double. And Juan Soto broke out of his rare slump with a 3-for-4, four-RBI night that included a walk and an opposite field home run that finally showed that he can still elevate the ball. Take a listen to Zim and Soto's long balls. And to greet him, Ryan Zimmerman, deep right center. See you later. Soto to left center on a fastball. See you later. There's some launch angle for Juan Soto. And the Nats lead 11 to 5. Then the bullpen stepped up to throw seven and two-third innings of relief, led by Austin Voth, who threw 50 pitches over three innings, and the Nationals had finally snapped their losing streak. Voth earned his second win of the season. Max Fried took the loss. 11 runs, 14 hits, one error for the Nationals. Six runs, eight hits, zero errors for the Braves. Another one of those games where everyone in the Nats lineup got a hit, including Austin Voth in place of Steven Strasburg. While Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Ryan Zimmerman, and Kyle Schwarber cashed in multi-hit nights. And like I said, the bullpen came up huge in this one with Sam Clay, Wander Suero, Daniel Hudson, Paolo Espino, and Brad Hand pitching important innings after Voth did his job backing up Strasburg. After the game, Davey Martinez had the latest of what was going on with Stras. His trap was getting tight. So um, he's going to get an MRI tomorrow. So it's the trap. It's like in the right shoulder area? Yep. So, you know, he tried to pitch through it and, you know, I just, you know, told Paul, I said, I don't want, I don't want to see him going through it. You know, let's get him out and uh, see what's wrong with him. And, you know, and we'll have to figure it out, but um, he couldn't get, he couldn't get it loose, try to get him loose, couldn't get it loose. So what were the discussions on the mound in the first inning and then between innings when you guys decided to put him back out? No, I was watching him and he was, you know, kept moving his neck. And so we went out there and, you know, he said, you know, he, he just feels stiff, but he, he wants to pitch through it. He wants to see if he can pitch through it. And uh, we gave him an opportunity, but he came out second inning and it just didn't look right to me. And his velo was down and, you know, I, I got to be smart um, and, and to, you know, figure out what's going on with him. So um, we'll see tomorrow. Like I said, he'll have an MRI sometime tomorrow. And we'll see what's going on. We would come to find out that Strauss's MRI showed nerve irritation in his neck. Treatment and rest is the plan for now, so the Nats moved into the injured list and brought up Kyle McGowan before Wednesday's game, leaving that spot in the rotation uncertain for Sunday's matchup in Philadelphia. And while Tuesday was a great team victory and a much-needed one at that, the Nats would need to figure out a way to win Wednesday night's game as well, hopefully with the offense carrying over to help out a pitching staff that has, for the most part this season, done much of the heavy lifting for this team. 
The bullpen was taxed after Strasburg's early exit on Tuesday night, and John Lester was starting on only three days rest because of last weekend's doubleheader against the Brewers, a lack of off days, and the fact Eric Fetty needs a rehab start before returning from the COVID injured list. Lester has done this three previous times in his career and pitched pretty well under the circumstances, but he's only done it once in the last decade and never this early in a season. So you would ideally like to get five or so strong innings from him, which even then might be a lot to ask against a tough Braves lineup, but Lester was able to give David Martinez that and then some in a gutsy effort from the future Hall of Famer who didn't need to take the ball on short rest. He could have very easily pulled his veteran card and said, nope, I'll pitch on my regular day. Instead, he went out and pitched five and two-thirds innings of one-run ball and left the Nationals ahead thanks to a gritty performance by the Nats' bats. Starling Castro pushed the first run across in the top of the second, and with the game tied at one apiece in the fifth, Juan Soto launched his second two-run homer in as many nights for a 3-1 lead. And Soto, another high drive to deep left center. See you later! He is wearing out that part of Truist Park. Two of his last three fly balls out there have gone the distance. And the Nats lead 3-1. to one. Soto had been greeted by some overrated chants from the Braves faithful this week, and he greeted them right back by breaking out of his slump with a couple of two-run shots and hitting the ball up and the opposite way, which is how you know Juan Soto is doing Juan Soto things. John Lester ran into some trouble in the bottom of the sixth by issuing a two-out walk, but Tanner Rainey came in to strike out the next batter to end the frame. Though in the next inning, Rainey gave up a leadoff ground rule double to Abraham Almonte and then issued a two-out walk to Freddie Freeman, which led Davey Martinez to call upon Daniel Hudson to put out the fire. Hudson has been great pitching so far this season, but his workload is getting up there, so it was only a matter of time before he kind of came back down to earth by giving up a two-run double to Ozzie Albies to tie the game at 3-3. Those two runs would be charged to Rainey, but Hudson would take the blown save. No matter, though, because Jan Gomes would deliver a go-ahead Gomer homer in the top of the eighth to give the Nats the lead right back. 2-2, and Jan Gomes hits one. High in the air, deep left center. See you later. Number five for the Nats catcher. And now the Nats land a blow to go back on top. That was Gomes' fifth homer of the season, and he also had a strong night behind the plate, throwing out Ronald Acuna Jr. trying to steal second base earlier in the game. Gomes has now thrown out a major league best 11 of 25 would-be base stealers this season, and Trey Turner would tack on an RBI single in the ninth, and Brad Hand would earn his ninth save to seal the 5-3 win. Daniel Hudson was actually the pitcher of record, earning his fourth win, and A.J. Minter took the loss for the Braves. Five runs, nine hits, one error for the Nationals. Three runs, seven hits, one error for the Bravos. Trey Turner and Jan Gomes had multi-hit days. Kyle Schwarber had a hit, but also had to leave the game in the seventh inning after diving for that ground rule double ball. Luckily, it was just a sore right knee, and he was available to pitch uh, the next day in the next game, uh, uh, Thursday's getaway day game. But the story of this one was Lester's performance on short rest. The five and two-thirds innings of one-run ball on 87 pitches gave the Nationals a chance and the bullpen enough of a breather to put together this win in a rare back-and-forth affair, something we haven't seen from this team too often this year when most of the games have gone the way of boom or bust. Lester, after the game, saying that when Davey asked him to pitch on short rest, he said he'll be ready. Uh, I mean, I think every – even – on normal rest, every start's a little different just based on how you're feeling and what's kind of your workload and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I basically told him, I said, just tell me when I'm pitching, I'll be there. Um, 
just kind of how I've always looked at it. Um, you know, I haven't done it a lot in my career, but you know, times that, that things come up, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a pitcher, so you just tell me the day and I'll do my best to, to be there on time and, and be ready to go. How did you feel out there? Did it, does it feel any different pitching with one less day? Two less? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think once you kind of get into the flow of the game, it's, it's all relative. It's all normal. Um, and obviously being here in Atlanta tonight was a little more humid than the last couple of nights, but you know, that, that, that's a factor, but um, you know, it, it kind of is, is what it is. You know, you kind of just psych yourself up to, to get ready for a start, you know, it kind of comes a little quicker than, than normal. And, you know, that's really for me kind of the only difference is just, you know, one day, one day earlier. John, do you go into a start like this with an idea in mind of, of what you think you can provide, or do you just try to take it in by inning and not really think big picture like that? Uh, well, I, I mean, that, that was part of the conversation with Davey is I said, Hey man, if, if we're going to do this, like, you know, I don't want to be on a pitch count, you know, like that was a big thing. And obviously last start kind of helped be ready for this start. You know, I, it, four innings at 70 pitches, it wasn't a, a huge wor workload day. You know, I think if I'm coming in here at, you know, a hundred something pitches, it's maybe a different scenario coming in, but um, you know, that, that was kind of my thing is, is I didn't want to be handcuffed to, you know, 70 pitches again um, and, and kind of put us behind the eight ball of where maybe something happens and that's only three innings, three plus innings or whatever. So um, that was just my big, I don't want to say argument with, with him and uh, about the, the decision, but, you know, I just wanted to make sure coming in that it was going to be a normal start. And, and, you know, he assured me of that and, and, let me do my thing. Lester's performance, the bullpen strength, and the offense's latest displays of power put the Nationals in line for a series win on Thursday afternoon, with Patrick Corbin taking his normal start in the rotation. And to start, he was fantastic through five scoreless innings. He allowed only three of the Braves' first 18 batters to reach via two singles and a walk. He was throwing his fastball for strikes and keeping everything else down in the zone to induce ground balls. But then in the sixth inning, everything unraveled and went in the complete opposite direction for the left-hander. He surrendered three ground ball singles to the first four batters he faced. Then came a hanging slider to Dansby Swanson that was hit to left field for a two-run shot and a 4 nothing deficit, turning Corbin's strong start into a disaster. He was not able to get swing-and-miss stuff from his slider, something that he's been struggling with over the course of this season. That's something that we usually see from Patrick Corbin, being able to put that pitch past batters and have them swing and miss at it. So he's trying to get his whiff rate up for that slider. But I'm not sure what's more frustrating, Patrick Corbin's collapse, I guess, in the sixth inning, or the offense that couldn't score off a 25-year-old making his third career start. Left-hander Tucker Davidson was recalled from AAA to make this start for the Braves and proceeded to allow zero hits through his first four innings, with the only batter to reach being Juan Soto, who drew two walks. Jordy Mercer finally recorded the Nats' first hit of the day in the fifth, making it a two-on and nobody-out situation for the bottom of the lineup. But Alex Avila struck out, Corbin couldn't get a bunt down in fair territory, and then Trey Turner grounded out on the first pitch to end the inning without a runner advancing. And that was pretty much the only scoring chance the Nats gave themselves off Davidson in this 5-1 to one loss. Josh Tomlin earned the win for the Braves. Patrick Corbin fell to 3-5 and five on the season. One run, four hits, one error for the Nats. 
five runs, seven hits, one error for the Braves. Only Turner and Avila recorded hits outside of Jordy Mercer's two-hit day. Mercer was able to get on base with a double in the ninth, and then Avila drove him in to finally get the Nats on the board. And out of the bullpen, Sam Clay gave up a run, but Kyle McGowan and Apollo Espino had scoreless outings in relief of Patrick Corbin. The Nationals are now 23-30 and on the season, six and a half games out of first place in the division behind the New York Mets, and continue this long road trip with three more games against the Phillies in Philadelphia, another division rival on deck for the Nationals. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout. Joe Girardi's Phillies are 26-29, and 29, second in the National League East, four and a half games back of the Mets. Over their last 10 games, they are 3-7, and seven, though they've only played four games over the last week with an unusual off day last Friday before a weird two-game set against the Rays over the weekend, and then a rain out in Cincinnati on Wednesday and an off day on Thursday. Uh, in the season series, the Nationals, this is their second meeting against the Phillies. The Phillies have won two out of three at Nationals Park in early May. But since then, including that loss in the series finale, they are 6-12 and over their last 18 games. Pitching probables on Friday night, Max Scherzer will take the mound for the Nationals against right-hander Zach Wheeler, 7.05 p.m. start on Masson. Saturday, a late afternoon game, 4.05 p.m. start. That will be Joe Ross versus right-hander Zach Eflin on Masson. And then Sunday afternoon, a getaway game. Uh, it'll be uh, to be determined for the Nationals. Might be a, a, a bullpen game for Davey Martinez's staff, but they will face right-handed pitcher Vince Velasquez at 1.05 p.m. on Masson. The Phillies have made some headlines recently, of course, due to their lack of winning with a high-profile roster, a high-profile manager, and while in a major market, but also because of the way they've handled an injury to their biggest star in Bryce Harper. Don't expect to see Bryce suit up this weekend for the Phillies, even though though he is eligible to return from the injured list with a shoulder injury on Friday for the series opener. Joe Girardi said he wouldn't count on that earlier this week, and it's still unclear how far along Harper is in his rehab, even though he was able to take some swings a couple of days ago. And D.D. Gregorius is also on the injured list with an elbow injury, and he isn't eligible to return until next week. But then again, maybe don't trust what Girardi says. He and the Phillies came under fire earlier this week, or this month, I should say, when uh, they insisted that Harper was not injured while sitting out a couple of games and eventually landing on the I.L. Then when asked about it, Girardi told the media that he is no longer going to inform them about team injuries and keep that all that information very close to the chest as it is a competitive advantage to do so, which is fine, I guess. But is it really a competitive advantage? I mean, I don't know how much baseball players take that into consideration when playing. It's not like hockey where Bryce Harper has an injured shoulder and then all of a sudden pitchers are just going to be start throwing at that shoulder or I guess you could get tagged. I don't know. It just doesn't seem as likely to happen in baseball as in other sports. Um, the Nats hold stuff close to their chest too, but when it's time to announce information, they do so. Steve Steven Strasburg's news this week. Uh, so I guess to each his own, Joe Girardi, do what you want, but you kind of came off uh, like like a little bit of a jerk there to the media, and you've been doing this a long time, uh, and you would think that he would have a better understanding of how the media works and how they have to do their job. Um, also, this all comes after Girardi got into a very public fight with Gene Segura in their dugout a couple of weeks ago and then yelled at and refused to answer questions about it to the media after the fact. Some weird Matt Williams, Jonathan Papelbon, Bryce Harper vibes there up in Philadelphia. So whenever you're thinking about the Nats struggles, at least they're a cohesive group and not the cluster mess that seems to be going on up in Philly. On the mound, this weekend's first two starters in Zach Wheeler and Zach Eflin both pitched against the Nats the last time these two teams faced off. 
Wheeler pitched in the Phillies' 5-2 win by giving up two runs and eight hits over six innings while striking out seven. Eflin took the loss in the only Nats victory of that series by giving up five runs over six innings. Though he did strike out nine, he gave up two two two-run home runs to Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell in the first inning. And Vince Velasquez will face the Nats for the first time this season in Sunday's finale. Having pitched them out of the bullpen earlier in this season, he now finds himself back in the rotation with a 2-1-1 record and a 4-0-8 ERA. Of his starts, he's been able to pitch into the sixth a handful of times, but he got chased after three innings in Cincinnati against the Reds uh, after they got him for six runs and two home runs earlier in that one. In his career, he's 2-2 with a 4-6-2 ERA in nine games, eight starts against the Nationals. Out of the bullpen, Hector Neris is still really the only bright spot out of this Phillies pen that's still in the bottom third of the majors in the ERA. Naris is the only arm out of the bullpen with an ERA under two, and he's converted nine out of 11 save opportunities. Citizens Bank Park is operating at 100% capacity for the first time this weekend, meaning some 43,000 fans can be in the ballpark for this series. Maybe they can boo and chant overrated to Juan Soto a little bit too, so he'll hit a couple more dingers. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune into the Philly series on Masson throughout the course of this weekend. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Masson All Access Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And check out our regular live episode every week. Myself and Amy Jennings. This upcoming week will be Tuesday or Wednesday on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Mass and Nationals across the board. You also can find our coverage on MassinSports.com. Mark Zuckerman does a great job there. I'll also be covering Friday night's opener of Max Scherzer's start for this website. So you can check out my work on the website as well. You can also give me a follow on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. I'll be tweeting throughout the game on Friday night. Uh, Our next episode of recaps will drop Sunday night, maybe Monday morning on the off day, recapping this Philly series and looking ahead to a quick two game set against the Rays in Tampa Bay. Until then, enjoy the games, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you later. 